Welcome to episode 11 of Writing on Caffeine, the podcast where you can come along on a journey with a father and daughter as we attempt to write our first novels. I am Jonathan Franzone, and this is my daughter. I'm Reagan, also Franzone. We are recording at the Coffee Break Cafe, and I am drinking a large coffee black. It is good. I've actually gotten used to drinking black coffee now. So. Aww, good for you. What are you drinking, Reagan? I am drinking a small winter wonderland and also water because I have not had water in the past 30 hours. Yeah, your sleeping schedule is a little different these days, isn't it? Yeah, I work the night shift now, and so my body just thinks that because the sun is out, it's time to sleep. Yuck. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So how's the writing coming, Reagan? (laughs) That's funny. Um, So going back to my whacked out sleeping schedule, not great. (laughs) Yeah, my writing has not been consistent at all either. Yeah. So it looks like we will be punishing ourselves at the end of the year if this continues. We're going to try really hard not to, right? (laughs) We're just going to crank it out right at the end. Yeah, maybe. Hit December and crank out at 30,000 words. (laughs) Today we would like to talk about worldview and how worldview impacts your writing. So the first question is, what is a worldview? A worldview refers to the set of beliefs, values, attitudes, and assumptions that an individual or group of individuals holds about the world, themselves, and their place in it. It encompasses a wide range of perspectives and can be influenced by many factors such as culture, religion, philosophy, education, and personal experience. A worldview can shape how individuals interpret and interact with the world around them, guide their decision-making processes, and influence their behavior and actions. What do you think about that definition, Reagan? Sounds right to me. (laughs) Sorry, my brain is moving in slow motion today. Um, looks good. <laughs> so uh, a big question is where does the term come from, worldview? Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the term worldview is believed to have been first used by the German philosopher Immanuel Kant. If anybody's watched The Good Place, they'll know that name. <laughs> yeah. In his critique of pure reason... However, it was the Dutch philosopher and theologian Abraham Kuyper who popularized the term in the late 19th and early 20th centuries through his writings and speeches. Kuyper emphasized the importance of recognizing the role of worldview in shaping human thought and behavior, and he argued that a Christian worldview was essential for understanding and engaging with the world. Since then, the term worldview has become widely used in a variety of academic and intellectual contexts. Abraham Kuyper was a Christian, as are we, and he famously said, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. Amen. So today we're going to talk about worldview, different worldviews, and how they impact your writing and whether or not they should. So yeah. um, the first question is, should you try to write with a specific worldview or should you try to neutralize it and scrub it out of your writing? What do you think? Well, that's a good question because I think there's a happy medium because if there's like an absence of a worldview, then I feel like it, a story can kind of fall flat. 
Yeah, without a worldview, it's not going to probably say anything yeah, worth but then, saying. Also, I have read books where the book was purely worldview, and I wanted to throw up. Right. Even though it was my own worldview. <laughs> I was like, this stinks. <laughs> right, it's just cramming it down your throat. Yeah. It's almost uh, like the writing um, suggestion to show and don't tell. Mm-hmm. Um, so you want to show your worldview through the story building and the world building and not just tell people, this is what you should believe. Yeah. It's like um, C.S. Lewis. I think he does a really good job. Yeah, he's, he's like amazing. I mean, he's not like super subtle, but <laughs> like... I feel like little kids would be like, well, this is such a great story. But then you read it as an adult and you're like, oh, I see what you did there. Right, yeah. He's a smart man. So um, John Bunyan was really, really on the nose with Pilgrim's Progress. Mm-hmm. So that that work is kind of different. It's an allegory and it's, it's written specifically to parallel the Christian walk with this, this Pilgrim's journey. Yeah. And so C.S. Lewis comes a little off of that. And his, his is pretty blatant with, you know, Aslan being the lion um, of mm-hmm. the tri- tribe of Judah. Um, he's a parallel to Christ. Um, but it doesn't go as on the nose as Bunyan does. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting you say the Pilgrim's Progress because I just remembered in high school I had an assignment where I had to rewrite like three or four scenes out of the Pilgrim's Progress with my own character built into the story. And how it would change the outcome of the story. Oh, interesting. So I wrote myself into the Pilgrim's Progress as, like, a character. Did you give yourself a funny name, like Mr. Worldly Wise? I think I did, but I can't remember what it was. Oh, that's fascinating. It was probably something, like, clingy or... (laughs) Dependent. (laughs) I have to look for it. It might be on Mommy's computer. Right. I'll have to find it. Yeah, that be that would be interesting to read. Hmm. So, um, do you think it's actually possible to write without a worldview? I don't. I don't think so. I don't think anybody has no worldview. Right. So, I think it's kind of impossible to write without a worldview. Right. If you if you speak in any way in your writing about good or evil, then you have a worldview. Yeah. Because it's, you have assumptions about what good is and what evil is. Even if you're claiming to be an atheist. Right. You have a view of the world. Yeah. So, yeah, no, probably not. Yeah. I mean, some could think that they're trying, but like I said, it's like impossible to not have a worldview. Yeah, it's it's basically impossible. Yeah. Because you have some ideas about um, the world, why it's here, mm-hmm. um, why you're here. Um, so atheism, you know, the the whys are basically accidents. The world is here because, you know, there was a big bang years ago, and then through billions of years and chance, we have what we see today. And so what's the real purpose of us being here? Well, it's, it's just an accident. Mm-hmm. Um, so live your best life now and hope for the best. Well, that's interesting because I know I've noticed that that is a popular theme in books that I've read where their authors are atheistic. Do you have any examples? Basically any YA novel, honestly. Right. Like, they're just kind of that type of live your best life, do what's good for you. Yeah. 
speak your truth. Absolutely. So, um, speaking of examples, I brought a couple of examples with different worldviews. And so, for kind of on the atheistic, but more evolutionary. Mm -hmm. So, from the evolutionary worldview, I read a series. Actually, I listened to the audiobooks. um, But it was called The Long Earth. Mm -hmm. And it's a whole series, I think six or seven books, uh, by Terry Pratchett and Stephen Baxter. I feel like I've heard of Terry Pratchett before. Yeah, he does a bunch of comedy fantasy books. Okay. But then he also teamed up with this guy. It's a science fiction series. And the whole premise of the book is that um, people develop this ability to step left or right, is what they call it, Mm, or east or west. And they go into this alternate earth. And so... And it goes for an infinity or some people think it circles back around and then you end back up where you started. But each iteration of the earth, evolution has taken a different path. And so on some of these iterations, you know, the dinosaurs are still around. And some iterations, um, you've got these ape-like um, people almost, but they're mm-hmm. not quite people. So it's kind of the missing link yeah. thing. And so the entire series is basically taking the idea of evolution and just exploding it into a series of books. Yeah. Um, so that that would that would be a heavy-handed um, example of that worldview mm-hmm. in writing. Another worldview is from the, the long book that I still haven't finished. <laughs> I started a year ago, and I've kind of put it aside, but I really need to finish it. Uh, so Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand. Mm-hmm. Um, she was a Russian writer and a philosopher. And so the book is primarily about capitalism versus Marxism. At oh, least that's, <laughs> that's as much as I can tell. And, um, just doing a, a little bit of research about her and I'd heard about this before. Um, so she believed, I think she may have even created this. It's called objectivism. And so objectivism is this philosophy that holds that the individual's pursuit of his or her own rational self-interest is the highest moral purpose, and that reason is the only valid means of acquiring knowledge about the world. Mm. So she was an atheist, but she believed that um, rationality and objectivism was the way to see the world as it truly was, Mm. which produced some good benefits. For instance, she was very pro-capitalism. She was pro-small government and almost libertarian ideas of freedom for people to basically do what they want. Mm -hmm. So those were some good things about her. And that book is heavily influenced by her ideals in that. Yeah. I think she probably wrote it as a fictional um, treatise towards those values. Yeah. Interesting. (laughs) This one's basically going to be me talking. Huh? Sorry, I'm trying. I feel like I don't have very much to say. I think here, no, how about fine. this? How about I input with? <laughs> let me use my fallback, fallback reference of the Hunger Games. Yes, talk about the Hunger Games. So in the Hunger Games, I feel like I mean I could go forever and ever about the Hunger Games, but I feel like it is a really great political commentary. So how so? The the way that um, she just, Suzanne Collins, describes the government, you know, this government is in charge and to keep the districts in their places every year, they sacrifice a girl and a boy from each district, right. make them 
brutally fight each other in front of the other districts so that they realize that they're powerless. And I think... It's a very tyrannical and abusive government. It is. And the the upper class people are very pampered and have everything that they want and, you know... Sounds like our government. Exactly. (laughs) This is just why I, like, since... I don't know, it's going to get political real fast, but, like, since the beginning of the coronavirus, I've been like, here we come, Hunger Games. Right. But, uh, I think she was very politically on the nose with that book. Yeah. Or book series. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, so another one I brought, since this is the Brandon Sander fans podcast, (laughs) uh, the Mistborn trilogy. Yep. Um, so it's probably no secret that Brandon Sanderson is a Mormon yep. or a member of the Church of Latter-day Saints. And um, one thing I've noticed is that Mormons write really great fantasy. They do, man. <laughs> and one of the one of the things I love about them is um, they have similar morals to Christianity. I think they would actually probably say they are Christian. Um, but they write clean fiction. So yeah. you don't have to worry about... You know, explicit sex scenes or rape mm-hmm. or any of those types of um, themes within their writing. One of the ways um, in the Mistborn trilogy that I believe the the Mormon worldview impacts his writing is in this idea of becoming a god. Yeah, freaking Sazed. So yes, so Sazed in the end of the tri- the first trilogy. Spoiler alert. Yeah, spoiler alert. Sorry. He absorbs the power of preservation and ruin and basically becomes God. Yeah, I hated that <laughs> so much. I was so upset at the end of those books. You I was like furious. No, because Sazed freaking sucked, dude. I did not <laughs> like his character. I liked him in the first book and then he just devolved into this like really annoying, whiny character. Right, yeah. And then Kelsier, who everybody loved, mm. he ends up becoming the figure that founds the Church of the Survivor. Yep. I loved Kelsier, though. And then you also, I noted, you have uh, the Chandra, mm-hmm. who, if you follow the the line of all this, you really see it in the Wax and Wayne series mm. afterwards, because all of these religions and churches that come out of the first three books um, really show up. And in the Wax and Wayne series, the Chandra are seen as these immortal beings who are almost like angels. Hmm. So they kind of go between God and man, similar to the way angels function in the Bible. All I can imagine them as is that, you know that movie, Monsters vs. Aliens? With the big blue blob. (laughs) And then like a giant dog. Yeah. Yeah. Um, They, They kind of make me think of... I know you're not a huge Star Trek fan, but Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Mm -hmm. there's this character called Odo, Mm -hmm. and he's the security guard on this um, space station, and he's a shapeshifter, and so his natural resting state is just liquid. Ew. And so he'll just, like, put himself in a bucket to go to sleep. (laughs) Love that. (laughs) So the conjure, you know, if you take their spikes out, they... They just devolve into goo and... Yeah. Spoiler alert. Um, another really good Mormon series is the Fireblood. Yes, absolutely, yes. And I really liked that. That's a great series. Um, I really liked his kind of... So, Brandon Sanderson is fantasy in like a sci-fi fantasy kind of superpowers and... Yes. Alien type creatures... I really liked Fireblood because it was more 
fantasy fantasy. Like right. it was dryads and like little spirit creatures and yeah. it was really interesting. I need to reread them because I can't even remember how the book ends. But yeah. there also was that kind of ascending into godhood theme in that book too because yeah. there was was it Miroin or mm-hmm. the yeah. other kind of realm that you go into and that was kind of like the heavenly realm. Yeah, and the dryads were kind of like the in-between. Right. Yeah. Is that what they were? The little uh, tree creatures? The tree people, yeah, yeah. I think so. But you can look at them because then you would forget everything. Yep. And that was just really interesting to me. So the the final example that I have is um, The Lord of the Rings, uh, The Two Towers by J.R.R. Tolkien. Never heard of it. It's one of the best book series in the world. <laughs> I think the best book series. Um, so J.R.R. Tolkien was Roman Catholic. Mm-hmm. And so um, a lot of his ideas... Uh, the books aren't written specifically with a Christian motto or theme, and I think anyone would say that, but there's a lot of symbolism, a lot of his worldview, the Christian worldview that comes out in that yeah. um, in that book. And there's this one example that I actually printed out and brought Whoa. Um, because I love it so much. Mm-hmm. So in the two towers in the beginning, the trees, uh, the ents and the trees have all kind of laid siege to... Um, the tower where where Saruman oh, is hanging out. I know which part you're talking so about. So they kill all the orcs and they surround the tower. And so he's stuck in his tower. Mm-hmm. And I think Wormtongue gets up in there. And in the they don't show this in the movies, but in the in the books, um, Gandalf and his whole entourage after they've won the battle at Helm's Deep, they come over to confront him. And there's this conversation, and this is just a small part of the conversation that Gandalf has with Saruman. He says, The treacherous are ever distrustful, answered Gandalf wearily. But you need not fear for your skin. I do not wish to kill you or hurt you, as you would know, if you really understood me. And I have the power to protect you. I am giving you a last chance. You can leave or thonk free if you choose. That sounds well, sneered Saruman, very much in the manner of Gandalf the Grey, so condescending and so very kind. I do not doubt that you would find Orthon commodious and my departure convenient, but why should I wish to leave? And what do you mean by free? There are conditions, I presume? Reasons for leaving you can see from your windows, answered Gandalf. Others will occur to you your thought. Your servants are destroyed and scattered. Your neighbors you have made your enemies, and you have cheated your new master or tried to do so. When his eye turns hither, it will be the red eye of wrath. But when I say free, I mean free. Free from bond, of chain, or command. To go where you will, even even to Mordor, if you desire. But you will first surrender to me the key of Orthanc and your staff. They shall, they shall be pledges of your conduct to be returned later, if you merit them. Yeah, that's good. So I love this exchange because in it you almost have um, what we would consider the offer of the gospel. Mm-hmm. So Gandalf is almost a Christ-like figure in several parts of the books and the movies. Yeah. And here he comes um, to Saruman, who's very much evil, and he's battled against good and teamed up with Sauron. And he's just offering him freedom. And that's what the gospel it is. It's freedom from evil. It's freedom from bondage. And yeah. that's all he's offering them. 
Um, but Saruman is so twisted and evil that he can't accept it. He won't just walk out of the tower and go free and lay down his weapons of evil. He just can't let go of it. Yeah. And so that's a, I thought a really cool example of the gospel and how some people, um, respond. Mm-hmm. I just want to bring up C.S. Lewis again because. Please do. I don't know. His, his writing, even though it's children's fiction, just gets me every time, man. Yeah. I cry at the end of every single Narnia book. <laughs> and it's just because Aslan is so awesome, dude. He is so good. And I just, I'm amazed at how he's captured, like, a small part of the essence of God in this character. And I love this character so much. And I am, like, personally saddened when they have to leave him. Absolutely, yeah. It's like that um, scene at the end of The Lion with the Witch in the Wardrobe when Lucy and Tumnus are on the balcony and they're overlooking the beach. Yes. And Aslan's walking off. And they're talking about him leaving. And you're sad that he's leaving. Mm -hmm. And they're not going to be in his company anymore. And... Tumnus says, you know, he's he's a good lion, but he's not tame. Yeah. And even, like, at the end of Prince Caspian, when they had to volunteer to leave. Oh, yeah. I cry so hard. <laughs> Can you imagine having to volunteer to leave the presence of God? Yeah. That's tough. So depressing. I'll tell you, in that one, I cried when um, Reaper Cheap gets in the little boat and goes over the waves, well, over the wall the, um, water, into the... The Dawn Treader. Yeah. He goes into the... Aslan's country. The far country. It's uh, just a picture of going into heaven. So good, yeah. man. I can't. Like, every single book, I'm just... I'm like, in this little teeny tiny book where the <laughs> chapters are two pages long and the font is like size 30... <laughs> I'm crying. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they're so good. They are so good. Yeah. And the space trilogy is really good. It's not, it's not as tear jerking as those, I think. Mm. Um, but the symbolism in the the space trilogy is really, really amazing. Yeah. Um, especially the last one, which is, um, it's not the abolition of man. It's the corresponding fiction work, which is that hideous strength. Yeah. So, Really good book with lots of Christian worldview sprinkled throughout. Yeah, I bet. So how how does your Christian worldview or any worldview impact what you're writing right now? Well, practically, um, I don't know if that's the right word to use. Pardon me throughout the entire podcast because I've had three hours of sleep in the past 24 hours. <laughs> Wake um, up! <laughs> that's what the coffee's for. I think, first of all, it keeps me from writing crude scenes. Right, yeah. Um, it keeps me from writing, like, swear words most of the time. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I think I'm in my head frequently, <laughs> but I'm not going to write them. Um... And I just, I prefer fiction without swear words in them. Yeah. 
it's what a do you, book. What do you th- this is kind of a rabbit trail, but what do you think about the books that use like alternate swear words? So you can tell it's a swear word, but it's not one that we would use. I think it's really funny because Brandon Sanderson does that. Yeah, he does. And it's just, it's just really, it's kind of like a loophole. Right. In like his belief system. Like, like you can't use swear words, but if I make up this word. Yeah, you're not reading F-bombs throughout the book, but there's this other word that kind of is the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's like the equivalent of in this world, which I think actually makes more sense in a fantasy because they're not going to say those things because they're not derived from our culture. Right, yeah. So, realistically, for a fantasy novel, I mean, yeah, it would make more sense to have bad words derived from what's actually going on in their communities instead of whatever the heck happened here. Yeah. And I think it's it's okay to write that type of thing into it because it's just portraying um, the way life is. Yeah. The way people Culture. are. Um, as a Christian, we know that we're fallen and we're sinful and people swear. Even Christians swear. Even though we shouldn't use corrupting talk, um, we do sometimes. Yeah. So... The struggle um, is real. I think the key is to not glorify it. Right. Mm-hmm. So you don't want to make this out to be the cool, the thing the cool kids do. Right. You don't want to use it for like humor. Right. Which I think is what a lot of books do. It's like comedians when they're, you know, telling their jokes and they just use a lot of crudeness and foul yeah. language. Like you can be funny without using tons of foul language. Yeah. Like take Tim Hawkins, for example. Tim that Hawkins guy's is hilarious. Great. <laughs> anyway, um, I, read in the past books where the F-bomb is dropped at least once a page, and it is so exhausting. Yeah. Like, wh- why? It's not necessary. They're not. They're even, like, putting it in where it's not even necessary to, like, convey emotion. They're just saying it just yeah. to say it. It's just the way it is. Sometimes I'll read um, military sci-fi, mm-hmm. and it's heavy in there because, you know, it's military. Yeah. And that's the way the military talks. Right. And it's sci-fi, so it's kind of modern, mm-hmm. taken from our culture and worldview, so. Right. Um, it's kind of difficult to, to choke through sometimes. Yeah. I think it's interesting, though, that, I, I don't know how he got stuck on swear words, but, <laughs> um, like, books, books could be a YA book. And they could have, like, the most gruesome, gory, like, disgusting scenes in it. But as soon as they use an F word, it's it's an adult book. Oh, really? Which I think is hilarious because there's, like, someone getting, like, brutally maimed or, like, dying yeah. painfully. And they're like, this is fine for teens. But then as soon as somebody <laughs> says an F word, they're like, oh, no, teens don't say that. Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's really interesting the... The way that they categorize books these days, which honestly could be a whole nother podcast episode. Yeah. We could do that. I'm trying to think of how my worldview impacts my writing. One of the ways... Go ahead. Sorry. One of the ways it impacts uh, my writing, I think, is um, we mentioned earlier the conflict between good and evil. Yeah. So as Christians, we have very specific ideas of what good and evil are. Kill the dragon, get the girl. That's right. And so we don't... We don't ever want to portray evil in the light of this is something that is good and to be stri- striven, strived, stroven for. That's probably <laughs> the past not. Past tense of I don't strive. Know. To strive. I don't know. 
Um, Something anyway, to strive for. Yeah, yeah, we shouldn't glorify evil. And I think a lot of the modern um, fantasy does that. Um, it yeah. takes very just evil people and makes it like the protagonist. That is something that's very popular right now, especially in the romance genre, is morally gray characters. Yeah, I hate that. There's a lot of it going on. <laughs> and some people may complain that your characters are flat because, you know, we talked about the, the character development. You have these completely flat evil characters versus these completely flat good characters. Well, you can do complex characters who even can be morally gray without glorifying the evil in their lives. Yeah. Like a development of someone who like struggled with evil but was a protagonist is they could develop away from that way of doing things. Right. Instead of murdering people, they could defend people or yeah. whatever the case may be. There's this trend going around like the the TikTok and the the Instagram where the audio that people are using is like someone like reaching out with their hand being like oops got your comfort character and then they open their hand and it's like whatever character is your favorite and then it says that's a murderer (laughs) (laughs) nice i just think that's really funny but um murderer yeah i think another thing is like you said like the good versus evil thing and i'm not gonna something that's also become kind of popular is writing a book from the perspective of the bad guys only. Right, yeah. Like, trying to paint the bad guys as the good guys. Yeah. Like, I've read a couple books like that, and I'm not a huge fan of them. Yeah. They just... Like, you're halfway through this book, and you're realizing, this guy, this is the bad guy. <laughs> like this, These people are not doing things for the right reasons. They're right, not yeah. here for good they're just here because they're on a rampage and it's terrible. And these kingdoms like surging up to protect themselves are portrayed as like weak and they're just destroying them. And it's <laughs> honestly depressing. Yeah. Like it's sad. I don't know. But I personally have tried to write you know a good good versus evil that is not flat right but it's believable that, but that also i don't know i've written like like, like, the, like the short story i wrote when i was in high school <laughs> yeah um the bad guy which is really stupid but the bad guy like gets hit in the head and he gets amnesia and then the good guys just like make him a good guy. <laughs> he just forgets that he's evil. Just forget about it. Yeah, he just forgets and then he's just a good guy. Yeah, that's not good. No, it was so bad. That's terrible. <laughs> it was. I didn't want to have to write like a fight scene. Right. So he just like gets hit in the head and he's good now. That's kind of the plot though of. Um what is it with Arnold Schwarzenegger going to Mars? Oh, I didn't, I haven't seen that. Um, but it's kind of similar to him. Like he's supposed to be this good guy, but then like something went wrong with his brain, 
and they try to make you believe that he was this bad agent. Oh yeah. Before, but he just got scrambled up and he went undercover. It's kind of one of those mind trip type. Things. Oh yeah, is that the one where they do like the vacation? Yeah. And the, yeah. Uh, as we close up, uh, what books are you currently reading, Reagan? Well, speaking of worldview, I just finished reading Ride Sally Ride by Doug Wilson. Love that. It was really good. Was it? I haven't uh, read it yet. I First of all, I was shocked that it was a fiction book. I did not realize that until I started listening to it. Yeah, he does write fiction. <laughs> um, it was very... It really kept me interested the whole time. I listened to it in one sitting. Oh, great. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed the, like, law aspect of it. Doug Wilson is very knowledgeable about that kind of thing. Yeah. And I really enjoy those kinds of scenes. And I think, honestly, that's why I love the Miracle on 34th Street movie so much. Oh, yeah. The court scene. The court scenes are just so good. But it was really good. And the values that he portrays are really good. I just... I, I guess spoiler alert, but I really loved the um, how the one of the characters just kind of comes to Christ, and it's not like this huge like revelation moment. It's just kind of slowly right. throughout the book, and then at the end they have this sweet like very pure Christian romance where oh, nice. everything is like correct right you know and it's just wholesome and good and i just i really liked it a lot oh good i can't wait to read it yeah i'm thinking about i'm sorry (laughs) no it's fine i mean it was kind of obvious that it was going that way but i'm gonna i think i'm gonna read his romance novel next it's called a man in the dark yeah i've seen that listed i haven't read that one either i've heard it's a little bit corny but i i also heard that he wrote it on a dare Oh, really? So, we'll see how it is. But um, I'm also currently listening to, well, I was reading The Way of Kings by Brandon Sanderson, but that book is such a chonker. <laughs> and the chapters are so long that I had to buy the audiobook, and I'm just listening to it now because my brain cannot. Is the uh, narration good? Yeah, it is pretty good. I've only listened to chapters um, from the girls' perspective so far. So there's two different narrators, one for oh, Shallon's point yeah. of view and then one for Kaladin. Yeah. And um, so far, I've really enjoyed it. I like that better than when the guy tries to use a girly voice in narrating. Yeah. Or the girl tries to use a manly voice in narrating. I'll tell you what bothers me the most, though, is when they have, like, one narrator for, like, the first book, but then they'll switch narrators for the next book, and it's like really bothers me speaking of fire blood yeah that bothered me so much because the first narrator was so good and then that lady came in and ruined it yeah you anyway. get used to her after a while <laughs> uh, so i am currently reading the the lost metal by brandon sanderson i i actually picked up the tempo and i'm reading it regularly now oh good um so it's been really really good good and then the book that I started listening to, The Black Prism by Brent Weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, amazing book. I'm actually almost finished. I've got about an hour of audio left in it. Oh, good. Um, so have really loved that. And they haven't plunged into any really explicit sex scenes or anything like that. So That's good. I'm, I'm glad about that. So I can probably listen to the rest of the series. <laughs> Love that. So we have a new project, um, speaking of reading, that we're going to be doing together. 
Um, you want to mention something about that? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I've recently really gotten into annotating books when I'm reading them. And so I thought it would be really cool if you and I read The Hobbit together and annotated separately. And then I thought I could do maybe some updates on the social medias, kind of about the difference in our annotations and what kind of sticks out to us. Yeah. And I just thought it would be a really interesting project to see how it goes and how we differ, but then maybe also how we're similar. Yeah. So we, we have our books in hand. Mm-hmm. We have not started yet. I started a little bit, but... Yeah. Um, so this, just to mention a little bit about how I've decided to annotate. Oh, yeah. Instead of flying by the seat of my pants, <laughs> I had to organize. <laughs> and I had four highlighters, yellow, blue, orange, and pink. And so I've decided that... I'm going to highlight yellow memorable actions and sayings. Okay. The blue is going to be for important and memorable places. All right. The orange is going to be important or memorable events. Mm. And then pink for foreshadowing or symbolism. Okay. And then I'm, I've already started and I'm just underlining names. Love that. So whenever I come across names, I underline them and then I've, jotted some notes down in the margins oh look at you that looks great yeah so just a couple pages in i love that what kind of um this is me being a nerd what kind of stationery are you using like what kind of pens oh pens um i just had a pen that's actually probably not really good for this purpose it's bleeding through quite a bit into Mm -hmm. the next page yeah so I probably need to get a different pen, maybe a gel pen. Yeah, I use like a gel pen. Actually, I got a set of like Bible annotating pens. Oh, really? That are really good for book annotation. Okay, I'll have to look into that. Yeah, I got them at Books A Million, so yeah. they're pretty easy. And I got some of the tabby things that you talk about. Mm-hmm. And they said they were writable, and I wrote on one with pen, and it just bled all over the place. Yeah, so here's the here's the trick for those. You actually have to write on them with Sharpie. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I need to get a fine tip Sharpie for those. Yeah. Cool. I'm really interested to see how that goes. Um, I have not started yet because my my brain is on, like, survival mode. Yeah, absolutely. And I thought at the end of it I might, like, condense some of it into character sheets. Hmm. And so, like, have Bilbo and just, like, the top three to five quotes that I love of his and the top major events of his or whatever. That would be really interesting to do and yeah. see like what's like what we chose. Right. That was different. Yeah. That'll be interesting. I'm really excited about it. I love annotating books and I just think it adds so much character to the book. Yeah. I, I understand people who want their books to remain pristine, but I honestly love a battered book more. Yeah. <laughs> because I just love that it's obvious that I loved this book. Right, yeah. And then I read this book. I think for me the the benefit is going to be in retaining more of it mm-hmm. and remembering more of it because a lot of times I'll read a book and then remember that I read it and kind of generally what it was about but nothing inside the book. Yeah. Like virtually nothing in it. So I think annotating it will help like solidify a lot of that in my brain. Yeah. This should be interesting. I saw this one guy who was um, doing like an annotation series for the Percy Jackson books. But um, he, like for every chapter, he like picked one prominent thing and he drew it on the title page. Oh, interesting. Which I thought was really cool. It looks really cool when he's like at the end of the book, but I'm not that talented. 
Yeah, it would be cool if you could draw, and yeah. I cannot. I cannot either. <laughs> you can draw. Don't don't be like that. Come on now. <laughs> Thank you for joining us in this 11th episode of Writing on Caffeine. We hope you'll join us again in two weeks-ish. Please subscribe wherever you find podcasts. If you are so inclined, leave us a review. Five-star reviews are preferable. Be sure to visit the website, writingoncaffeine.com, where you can view the show notes and subscribe to our email list so that you never miss an episode. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Yeah, that's... Hold on. This happens every time. I know. We need to just like wiggle the mouse. They actually have programs that'll wiggle your mouse or devices. Uh-huh. Um, so you'd get a mouse and you put this, your mouse on this device and the, the device will just kind of randomly move your mouse. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> um, I've heard some people use it to fake out like the, the companies that, you know, monitor if you're actually logged in mm-hmm. and so they can just go do whatever they want and the company will think they're logged in and doing stuff that's funny you should not do that yeah <laughs> you should good. actually work my job is not online so right i do actually work <laughs> <laughs>